What is the Banking Identity Safety Scorecard, and what does it mean to you and your institution? Hi, I'm Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking today with James Van Dyke, Founder and President of Javelin Strategy and Research about the Banking Identity Safety Scorecard. Jim, thanks so much for joining me. Tom, thanks for having me. Just to get us started here, why don't you tell us a bit about this scorecard, how you developed it, what it measures, and really how the scores are calculated. Certainly. Glad to. You know, the scorecard is something that's evolved quite a bit, and it will continue to evolve because criminals evolve their methods in this very confusing crime known as identity fraud or what sometimes people call identity theft. And it's in its fifth year, and it's now up to 50 individual criteria by which we measure uh, the top 25 banks and the credit union that represent 50% of all consumer deposit relationships. And then we do this for credit card issuers in the spring of each year. We're just now releasing the banking scorecard, which, uh, of course, is in the fall of this year. So we, uh, you know, it's very interesting about identity crimes because they involve uh, impersonation of the customer. So there, there's three main reasons, just for quick background, to understand why we chose the methodology we chose of, of looking at so many customer-facing areas. Uh, it's, it's a very deliberate reason, and you know, when you look at the four main reasons that criminals do what they do when they target the financial institution, it's either, generally speaking, terrorism, cracking, which means just for fun or enjoyment, insider crimes, embezzlement and so forth, possibly extortion, or identity crimes. Now, identity crimes totaled $48 billion last year by our measure, and if you look at the cost to industry, it's so much larger than that because that doesn't include all the mitigation efforts and then certainly the, the relationship efforts. I mean, the cost of merchants alone was $100 billion in the U.S., which surprised us in its enormity. So th this last area of identity crime, that, this is the main money maker for criminals at this point in time, and it's absolutely the most misunderstood area that we research because some customer builds up, spends all their time and effort building up a great reputation so they have access to credit, they can keep their funds with you, the depository institution or the credit card issuer, and the criminal comes along pretending to be somebody else. And the reason they do that rather than taking a direct run into the institution is they can get a lot more done. They can pull a lot more funds out of the business, and that's why it's so hard on banks. And therefore, that's why we came up with a scorecard to measure how well institutions are working with the customer, the person who's being impersonated. And, and what we frankly found is that institutions tend to work in isolation because it's so hard to engage the customer. And I'd say that there's an incentives problem where institutions aren't really structured well because they're not necessarily measuring how well they're, the, the stickiness of the, the real customer's relationship and how products that are, are launched under the banner of security, how well those help hang on to the customer and even encourage more cross-selling and, and acquisition of new customers along with, obviously, the reduction in losses. So that was old mouthful. Let me get into a, a couple of things about it. Customers primarily choose financial institutions based on perceived security, period, end of story. It's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Until you feel safe, nothing else matters. Um, and they are willing to be deputized. You know, there, there's these urban legends that go around, like people saying that zero liability policies lessen people's motivation to protect themselves. You know, there isn't a shred of evidence for that. People not only choose an institution based on safety, they want to get involved. They don't just want to be reassured that they're okay 
and this scorecard has 50 criteria. They evolve every year. And the way that we build the criteria are by looking at crime trends, because we have the biggest victim study that's around. We also look at what um, seven years of consumer data and saying, what are people willing to do and what kinds of protections are they actually seeking? What makes them feel most secure? Now, hopefully the things that make the customer feel most secure are the things that actually do make them most secure. But you actually have to consider both separately because sometimes perception and reality don't come together. Lastly, we use web review methods and mystery shopping methods, and we score the typical of financial institution, the average financial institution, I should say, seven times because we want to make sure we get accurate information when we report on how well one institution stacks up against another. So, Jim, give us an overview of this year's results, and now that it's in the fifth year, how have these rankings evolved, and really, what do they tell us? You know, they've evolved a lot, and this year I was very surprised by the results. So I'll, I'll start off with where I wasn't surprised and then end up with uh, the areas of, of greatest surprise. Resolution, uh, you know, within our, our trademark model, prevention, detection, resolution, that is stopping the crime, spotting it earlier, and then making people whole once they've been victimized of a new or an existing account fraud case. The resolution keeps getting better every year, and it's always been the area in which banks are strongest. That's what we see. So it's kind of like if you think of uh, disasters like Katrina, you know, the first thing you have to do is pick up the victims on the proverbial rooftops and, and assure them that they're going to be okay, they'll survive to see another day. It's the same as with identity crimes, and therefore banks do the most, um, score the highest in resolution of the crime. Detection, we saw almost no change in results. It, the, resu the average bank went from 50 to 56% of our scored errors. So just a slight increase, and that's really where the most help is needed. Banks need to work with customers to detect crimes earlier, identity crimes, crimes committed in their name, and particularly with fast-evolving mobile technology and some core providers even providing real-time data. Um, there, there's, the technology is there. We're just not using it. The area that was wonderful news, completely unexpected by our researchers on this project, was in identity fraud prevention. Those capabilities which stop crimes from occurring in the first place. We were just bowled over by seeing the average bank move from 52% to 79% of those 50 year, um, of all the areas we scored. So, Jim, give us a preview. Who scores highest in, the, in this year's scorecard? Well, overall, Bank of America, uh, you know, yet again, just kind of swept the um, swept the results. Bank Bank of America has held that top spot, in it, but it's very interesting. It's not like they're they're not even um, they're not even ten percent ahead of the next uh, next highest ranked provider. So, Bank of America has has scored the highest in our scorecards on both issuing and, and depository. Uh, but they just have a couple of points, just eking out a win over the others. So it's very, very competitive. Uh, surprisingly, uh, the next um, highest-rated provider overall was not a was not one of the largest banks. It was Regions. So we actually that told us that you, you can't necessarily just buy your way through like this arms race of security spending into the top ranks. It's also about innovation and ingenuity. There were some others that were uh, right up there, just just. Uh, a little bit behind the top scores, literally just separated by a few points, um, less than a handful. Wells Fargo, PNC, and Citibank, followed by U.S. Bank, were, were right up near the top. Jim, what do these ba these rankings really mean to the institutions, but more importantly to their customers? 
You know, what, what institutions need to do, and, and, I, and they've really got my empathy, it's, it's tough because these criminals are changing what they do in these crimes of impersonation, you know, where they're sowing confusion. And they're, they're attacking institutions as institutions try to come up with effective security spending policy across all the silos. Uh, institutions, number one, need to measure security as a total area across all lines of business, of course, with, with a central uh, data protection and, and, and fraud prevention group that engages the latest technologies, especially those that are quite literally in the customer's hand. And the device to be looking at for that, by the way, is the iPhone on a couple of on a couple of accounts. One, uh, it's people are mistakenly looking at smartphones as the phone of the future. Focus on smartphones. You know, just there's so many metrics I could give on that. But if you look at that, the, the profile you get of the end user is the end user of tomorrow, who is very different from a typical smartphone user. For example, mobile banking usage among iPhone users is 53 percent for smartphone users. Uh, it's it's in the mid-30s, so these are just worlds apart, and some of the technologies that we need to be using around mobile are certainly real-time alerts and SMS with browser and how they all work together. Uh, and the mobile device, absolutely, it's something we need to be worried about from a standpoint of new security threats, but, you know, it has more advantages than any other security channel at how we can roll back the, the total cost of fraudulent activities because of its powerful detection capabilities and its ability to be the single authentication device that authenticates all other channels. So if, if the security people aren't as, cons aren't as focused on the advantages as they are about the downsides, they're missing some opportunity. And it's, it's also the um, opportunity to tap into the real-time core, uh, real-time reporting capabilities of both transaction processing systems and, and eventually core processing um, capabilities that some of the um, banking technology providers are offering. Now, you mentioned a lot of the larger banks a few minutes ago, Citi, Wells Fargo, um, Bank of America. What do you find to be the state of identity safety at community institutions? You know, it's, uh, it's a really good question. It certainly is a very much a mixed bag, and this is where, uh, you know, what we today call cloud computing, what we used to call ASP computing or any number of you know, labels, uh, but Providing hosted services or, or vendor-backed services can allow any community bank um, that, that has the right technology provider and the right set of technology solutions with smart spending, smart and aware spending, to be as effective as a large bank. I mean, it's they may not have a staff in-house that can interact on a daily basis with all the leaders in this entire space, but they are more reliant on vendors. Uh, and, it, and if they make sure they're using the right vendor solutions, uh, they, they can be just as effective. But it will be a mixed bag where you're going to get some people that are, that are great at the smaller bank level or credit union level. You'll get others that are, are going to be um, sorely exposed and need to be worried. Well, Jim, your eyes are probably rolling just having looked at this year's results. But I have to ask you, as you look them over, what do you find to be the biggest lessons learned? You know, there's some great new technologies rolling out. Uh, that's one, and vendors are doing a great job making them available. And, and I, you know, I don't envy banks and having to sort through them. Um, and I, I just got off two calls literally this morning with bankers and vendors trying to make some of these decisions. You know, there's some great things like EVSSL and Trustier. 
Uh, there's some device fingerprinting, which is in itself kind of a mixed bag. Merchants are telling us that they think criminals are doing a pretty good job uh, figuring that out and impersonating the, the fingerprinted devices, if you will. But yet, those are vital um, secu- um, solution types. Uh, so the complexity is, uh, you know, lesson we're learning is that bankers need a systematic way of prioritizing their technology investments and. I could give you an hour-long answer on that, and I promise I won't, but the short answer is with new security threats coming along minute by minute, you need to ask yourself as a banker, do I have a prioritized way that causes me to not be overreactive or underreactive to the latest threat, where I can actually assign a weighted value to the solutions that a vendor is pitching at me? And, and the, the call that I'm going to get from somebody on my team that says, oh, my God, we've got to lock everything down because some new threat, you know, somebody's inside of our systems. Well, given what you've learned then about the bankers, about the fraudsters, about the threats, what trends are you going to be tracking as we go into 2010? Well, we're, we're adding more back-end capabilities. We added a lot uh, to those we measured in our um, in, in our. Uh, scorecard already among the 50 individual criteria that, that are based on the evolving criminal trends. Uh, you're going to see even more back-end uh, capabilities that we measure in next year's scorecards. We're already working on the ones for 2010. Um, but among those that we're already seeing, among the 50 criteria, we have the big opportunity right now on top of banks' great accomplishments that they did in prevention in our current scorecard. It's all laid out, out there inside of it is uh, the big opportunity is to tap into uh, literally the, the palm of all these people that are walking in the street that are willing and able to get in the game of, of helping their bank protect a, a common enemy, which is the criminal, if the banks will just let them in the game. And the way to do that is to use the mobile device and see it as as much of an opportunity as it is a threat and start notifying people real-time. And I'll tell you, the payoff for this is not just reduced losses. It's so much, so much bigger than that. It's all about actually getting more transactions, more new customers, and hanging on more to more of the customers you have. So it's, we need to have holistic ways of measuring the ROI of security. And as we do that, I believe security specialists will find more funding for their projects. So really, it is a matter, as you said earlier, of deputizing the customers. And when you do that, you get greater loyalty from them. You really do, and it's you stop the customers more effective. I'm sorry, you stop the criminals more effectively. <laughs> you engage the customer, and you can do it. It sounds complicated, but um, you know there's a lot of research data to help prioritize that. And so it actually the path that there are there are a few very clear paths that will provide profitability uh, on a near term basis. Jim, if you can let people know where they can find out more information about this scorecard, and at the same time, if you could boil it down. What would you say is the single biggest message about this scorecard to the banking institutions whose leaders will be listening to this? You know, it's a, thanks for asking. It's Our website is javelinstrategy.com, javelinstrategy.com. Go to the website, you click on the reports tab and or the research tab, and right away you'll be taken to our most recent research reports. The banking safety scorecard is listed right there. We just released it. And people can purchase a copy there, of course, if they're among the banks or the vendors that are already subscribing. And, uh, you know, they can just, uh, if they're not sure if they're a subscriber because their organization is so large, they can just send us an email at inquiry at javelinstrategy, 
javelinstrategy.com, inquiry at javelinstrategy.com, and we'll let them know if they are a subscriber and they already have access. And what the, the single biggest message is to, since we're working with, uh, we're focused on, on crimes of impersonation, bankers and technology vendors work with the person who's being impersonated. You get a double payback of not only reducing more of the losses, but you get to increase the total volume of, of legitimate transactions. So you get a, a double profitability improvement when you do that, and, and this stuff works. The method works in keeping customers for life and stopping more of the bad people. And the real opportunity around there is to look at what's going on with the iPhone and, um, and look at the way Internet radio works and, and let people have as much control of their transactions as they do in the music industry today. It sounds like a small example, but it's actually the, the big trend of the future. Jim, as always, I appreciate your time and your foresight. Thank you, Tom. Great to be talking with you again. We've been talking about the Banking Identity Safety Scorecard. We've been talking with James Van Dyke of Javelin Strategy and Research. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.